0: Welcome to On Farm Trials with the PNW Farmers Network, where we explore the many trials that come along with cropping systems innovation in the inland Pacific Northwest. Plenty of questions get asked while farming across this region, and together we're digging into what it's like to try to answer some of them as producers, researchers, and the many other professionals in the field that get things done. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Carol McFarland. happy to be returning to the Holland Boone Farm where we're going to visit with Mr. Moses Boone and also undergraduate student Oscar Rodriguez is here with us today as part of the research and extension experiences for undergrads internship program um, happening this summer at WSU. Thanks for having us out to your farm again Mr. Boone and we're really excited to be here.
1: Yeah it's great to have you back. (laughs)
0: Um, Would you please briefly share a bit about yourself and describe the site that we were working with you on today?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Moses Boone. I'm a fifth-generation farmer. Um, uh, We're located in the Palouse region, just outside of the city of Palouse in eastern Washington. Uh, We mainly raise wheat, barley, lentils, and chickpeas. Uh, continuous cropping rotation and you know mostly direct seed no till uh type operation and uh, the field we' were at today is a field that uh, was in winter wheat last year and is in um is in lentils this year um relatively flat for <laughs> the topology that that we have around here so um I, I don't know maybe twenty percent slope max something something in that range uh that we were that we were on today and um so some hilltops, some um, low level ground um some that's been in grass for a long time some c r p areas, and we're about a month six weeks away from harvesting the lentils, so they're up they're about as big as they're gonna get, they're blooming and we can really see um, what the stand looks like at this point in the year and there's a lot of variability out there. So definitely a lot of uh, places that look pretty good, places that don't look so good. So getting some answers as to exactly what's what's causing that um, would definitely be useful. <laughs>
0: That's great, yes. It was definitely more than one 20% slope in that yeah. field. Yeah yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, great. And then, um, Oscar, would you share a little bit about yourself and what brings you to the Holland Food Farm today as a researcher?
2: Yeah, so I'm currently a student at Washington State University. I'm studying biochemistry, and I have recently joined the Research and Extension Experiences for Undergraduates program as an intern uh, here at Washington State University. And part of uh, the extension part of that program, um, our group has been researching on-farm experimentation. Uh, Today at Holland Boone Farm, we are sampling the soil pH in various locations. And part of the program is to help farmers learn new skills and information that might be useful to them.
0: Now, Moses, as part of your um, on-farm trials questions, you did reach out to um, the Farmers Network and myself um, about sampling soil pH on your farm Mm -hmm. as part of an invited opportunity. What were you hoping to learn when you reached out?
1: Well, um, so as as I mentioned, we have a lot of variability in the stand and that's not, you know, something that's um, specific to this year or, or this field. That's something that we see, you know, every year to some extent and in every field to some extent. And that's, you know, that's natural with the topology um, but there's there's certainly some variability out there that can't be explained just by the topology or even by just the soil type. So, um, I I was hoping that the pH might give us some clues as to, to what's causing these good areas versus bad areas and uh, you know, just to have more information in general about what's going on out in the field, I don't think having the information is ever... Uh, there's ever a downside to that so yeah when when you said hey we're going to bring a bunch of people out to, <laughs> to measure your your or survey the ph across your field i was like yeah sign me up that that sounds great
0: well we're really glad you did it's been a really great opportunity and we really appreciate your hospitality mm-hmm. here on the farm and the opportunity to work with you yeah. thanks for your interest <laughs> um so when did you notice your ph starting to decrease
1: well um i i think I don't think we'd really done any real soil sampling until I started farming full-time about ten years ago. Um, that's when we started, you know, prior to that it was it was kind of just, uh, you know, just using the same tried and true uh, rates for fertilizer application that we've always used and I kind of wanted to try to be a little more targeted with that, you know, okay, do we actually need to put down that much fertilizer or can we benefit from putting down more? So, slow sampling was something that that I wanted to do um, from the get-go and uh, that, that has been useful. For the most part, those rates of fertilizer that we've been putting on are, are pretty much what it needs but there have been times where it's like, oh, we need a little more or we can get by with a little less. Uh, And part of the the soil sampling for nitrogen is the standard analysis is, you know, pH is usually included. And, you know, we noticed, okay, the pH is not ideal. (laughs) It's a lot lower than we'd like to see.
0: Um, So did you, what changes to the crop or did you notice changes to the crop um, that kind of increased your suspicion around um, low soil pH maybe being... Uh, underlying some of your soil conditions,
1: we noticed our yields in lentils, uh, in particular, had been declining, or, or at least on a downward trend. And um, the, the lentils, as I understand, are are particularly susceptible to uh, low soil pH. So we ha- I, we had a hunch that maybe that was part of the issue. And so uh, you know the the, the pH sampling has kind of uh, indicated that our previous um, uh, soil pH testing methods have usually just been aggregate uh, style sampling where we take samples from uh, several different places throughout the field but then it all just gets mixed together and all all tested as, as one. So this kind of survey um, where we're preserving the locational information of, of, of each Uh, each sample is, is, it provides some interesting information.
0: That's great. Yeah, we did try to design um, our sampling techniques today to help answer this question around soil pH in this field. Um, Our methodologies according to getting more spatial across the landscape, but also within the soil profile Mm -hmm. information um, for you around that. So Oscar, would you describe the method that... um, that our group used in the pH sampling conducted today?
2: Yeah, so we took three samples for each of the four zone locations. Um, So the sample zones that were taken uh, were accounted for predominantly for the topographical variability such as uh, hilltops, um, side slopes, and lower ground. And we took cores um, to a depth of about 12 inches with a back soil probe and use the handheld infield pH meter. And the protocol outline is in the Wazoo extension pub uh, called using a pH meter for infield soil sampling to record pH values with the depth and capture any potential pH stratification. Uh, we took um, GPS locations of the sampling points and three replicates within each zone. Um, we had about three different groups out there, and we pulled cores from adjacent, unfarmed ground and measured the pH in the same way as the control. Uh, we will also uh, provide a summary with the findings in a one-page written report for the Holland Boone Farm Records.
0: Thanks for describing the methods that were used today. Um- For more information on how to use an open-face soil probe with an infield pH meter, there is an extension publication on the WSU Wheat and Small Grains website written by uh, Dr. Paul Carter describing that process and that protocol in detail if any of our listeners are interested in following up with that tool. As part of this effort, we are working together through the research lens on the working farm to answer this question of of what's going on with the lentils. What does the variability look like, again, across the landscape and within the profile? We'd like to hear from each of you um, and how you would each describe the potential benefits of on-farm experimentation to both farmers and researchers. Oscar, let's start with you.
2: Well, first of all, From our group's research, we found that it creates a social learning experience for each participant, from the co-designing of the experiment to the interpretation of the results. This is done by extending out to other stakeholders and peers, which promotes further co-learning through the sharing of data, ideas, and insights. The local community also benefits because the experiments are relatable. There is also a journal article named Farmers as Researchers where they interviewed a group of farmers that had previously participated in on-farm research to understand how to create strategies that encourage farmers to participate in this program. In the study, most farmers participated for economic gain. After participating in the trial, many farmers were interested in the exchange of ideas that they had, the experimental design, and the statistical analysis, and by letting engaging In the research in collaboration with scientific researchers they became more involved in the process and at the end suggested developing innovative research projects and they wanted to try new studies it also states that farmers get first-hand experience with the results and therefore bridges the gap between experimental plots and commercial fields They also noticed that communication around new agricultural knowledge is more likely in everyday interactions and conversations and farmers routinely seek knowledge from other farmers. The scientific researcher also benefits from the data gathered to share the knowledge to other farmers that have similar questions. It is unbiased data where farmers get data that correlates to their process and creates a better connection between farmer and scientific researcher. On-farm experimentation also creates prototypes for innovation, ecosystem platforms, and most importantly, accelerated learning for all.
0: Thanks for that. It's been really fun, Oscar, to see you and your group um, dive into some more of the um, background information, other case studies around on-farm experimentation and the benefits of this collaboration between um, researchers and producers. Moses, would you like to, from your perspective, maybe talk a little bit more about how that experience is for you and what you see the benefit is?
1: Sure. Uh, I I kind of see as there being two main types of, of on-farm experimentation from the grower's perspective. Uh, there's a type where you know, you've maybe heard something your neighbor's doing or that you know, or research university is some technique that they've tried. And so... You're just doing the experiment to validate that their results will translate to your farm, because uh, you know agriculture is is so specialized, and um, you know the the smallest little things that you wouldn't expect can make a huge difference. So what what works for somebody you know three or four miles down the road doesn't necessarily work here on this farm. So. That's always um, something that's important for any farmer to do. I I don't think I know any farmer who would just, no matter how well the research is done, I don't know any farmer who would just like jump in with both feet to try something new across their entire farm just by reading a publication. They're always going to do a little experiment first, and um, so and the the benefits to that kind of experiment is, um, you know, it's you you know what to expect, you know. because someone else has kind of already done it. You're just verifying it for yourself. Uh, The other kind is where, you know, you've got some wild idea for something new that no one's tried before and you want to try it for yourself. And um, it's like any other kind of experiment, you know, the likelihood of it being successful or turning out exactly the way you think it's going to is almost zero. (laughs) Um, But the benefit, the potential upside is huge because... um, we don't know everything about farming, but we do know, or at least, I think it, most farmers have a very strong intuition that whatever they're doing, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. the 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 benefit is, you know, finding a better way to to do things, and then you you get to reap the benefits of that, you know, indefinitely. To you know, to replicate that over and over and over again uh, potentially for your your neighbors the agricultural community at large also so uh, there's low probability of success but you know a high impact when there when it is successful so that can be you know both frustrating but also uh, exciting
0: more on that, check out Moses's <laughs> other episode of On-Farm Trials where he talks more about his um, grower-led trials. So huh? I have seen that described though, in, there is literature of course on on-farm experimentation and um, one of the things that we think about when we're describing on-farm experimentation and the, its different flavors is it is kind of a spectrum. You know, from what you're describing as a wild idea mm-hmm. um, from a grower uh, which are some of the most fun things yeah. that I hear in the ag community. <laughs> yeah. um, and totally one of the reasons that we're here uh, doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, all the way in a continuum of, you know, are you reading something from the scientific community? Are you talking to an extension specialist or, or another researcher? Are you working in collaboration with them mm-hmm. to do um, trials on your farm? There, there's so many different flavors across this spectrum. So, um, it's been really fun to to have a bit of that collaboration here Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. and also to hear your perspective on the benefits yeah
1: and in my experience you know that collaboration's been really fruitful also um yeah i i do like to um do as much research as i can and including reading like academic publications and i've you know, a lot of times they're from WSU or U of I, but even from places that are farther away, uh, it doesn't matter where it is. My experience has always been as a grower, when I reach out to the authors of these publications, they're very happy to, to talk to you about, about anything. So it's not like um, inaccessible or, or anything. You can, as, as a grower, you can really take, take advantage of a lot of that, that knowledge that's out there.
0: My experience is, is that a lot of folks who are working in applied eye science in particular are really excited to talk mm-hmm. with folks who are interested in implementing their research on the ground yeah. um, because I think, you know, I speak for myself and, and maybe some of my colleagues as well that, I mean, that's why we do this work,
2: This
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is in the hopes that it is useful on the ground. <laughs> um, yeah. So Moses... Do you expect this field scale pH survey that we conducted today to change any of your management decisions?
1: Uh, well, I hope so. At, at any time you take, uh, I haven't had a chance to look at the, the data in depth yet. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what uh, uh, decisions or, or, or changes might be made as a result of this. Uh, but I think it has some potential to drive some decision making. So, in addressing soil pH, um, there's kind of two ways to go about it. You can do the uniform whole field approach, where you're trying to treat the whole field, or you can try to do a more targeted, basially or you know, vertically through the through the soil profile. So, um, you know, unless the cost comes down substantially, uh, we'd probably be looking at more of that targeted approach. And one thing I've been interested in trying is uh, treating the pH in the T band, so just right, you know, basically on the seed drill at the same time the seed is applied and, and treating just that, you know, one or two inch wide trench where the seed is applied um, to maybe get the seed in some, some healthier soil while it's starting out and then when it's a little bigger, it can kind of grow out into those lower pH zones and, and maybe have a, a better chance. Yeah, that's 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 one thing I could I could potentially see doing with this information.
0: As a soil scientist who did all of my graduate work on soil acidification, um, I just want to throw in like the pH number is a value that indicates um, where there might be an issue. It does not indicate how much remediation is necessary right and so the buffering capacity of the soil varies and probably also spatially across your field
1: yeah we didn't do any cation exchange capacity analysis or anything like that so yeah yeah so uh the the other thing that i i've um you know have thought about doing would be interested in, in potentially doing is changing the type of fertilizer that we use because um Virtually everyone around here is using either anhydrous ammonia, or aqueous ammonia, or um, uh, urea, ammonium nitrate, uran solution thirty-two, whatever you want to call it. And we've been doing this uh, uh, the solution thirty-two um, mainly. And yeah, you know, I've heard there's there's a lot of confusion. I think on on the part of growers about fertilizer and soil pH and and I know you've done a lot of work to try to <laughs> alleviate some of that confusion, you know, I, I think it's worth bringing up here, you know, a lot of farmers, they will say this mantra like, like nitrogen is nitrogen when it comes to soil acidification, like no matter what source of nitrogen you use, it all has the same effect and that's not the case. There's, you know, if if most of the practical fertilizers that we have access to, I think you could say that, yes, one unit of nitrogen produces the same amount of soil acidification as, as the same unit of nitrogen from another fertilizer source. But if we were to look at something like calcium ammonium nitrate as a fertilizer instead or calcium nitrate, then, you know, we could halt or potentially even reverse the pH problem just by applying fertilizer. It's just a matter of finding uh, a source and and an economically viable source for for that material.
0: Thanks for all of <laughs> all of that. Um, so, also, I mean, when we were visiting a little bit before starting the recording here, I mean, you mentioned thinking about getting into the variable rate nitrogen application mm-hmm. technology, and you know, even. It's all steps toward a goal, you mm-hmm. know, and, and there's a lot of different ways that that can look. So mm-hmm. um, it sounds like you're you've already been thinking plenty <laughs> about this. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I do a lot of thinking. Thinking's free, so <laughs> I do I do, a, I do a lot of thinking. The the this is doing part that's hard.
0: <laughs> well, and again, hopefully, um, having the information from from this group of folks today um, with the infield pH meters does help give you a little bit more information to, to keep thinking about. Oscar, I've got a question for you. Thanks for listening to that bit about my <laughs> Um How has this experience of working with a grower in the field to answer a question important to their working farm influenced your view of science and research and your future role in it?
2: Yeah, so as a researcher, it really has inspired me to find uh, innovative ways to try to create learning platforms in which to share my knowledge and from to learn from farmers knowledge to try to get as much people connected i really enjoyed learning from moses about what questions he had because as a researcher many of the work done in the lab is more scientific based that is not available to the public having this experience i think it was nice to use simple tools to use them to create an experiment that is usable
0: so would you describe and this is a question again um, if you both wouldn't mind answering. Um, Would you describe from your perspective, the respective roles for farmer-driven experiments versus scientist-driven experiments, and how they each might influence on-farm decision-making? Let's start with you, Oscar.
2: Yeah, so the difference between farmer-driven experiment and scientist-driven experiment, I think it really depends on who really initiates the research question. Um, In the farmer-driven experiment, the farmer asks a question to a to test one or more of their inputs of interest. I think the strength behind it is that it is directly transferable to the farmer's managed system. But one weakness is that it needs to be interpreted to provide more generalizable insight. As for the scientist-driven experiment, the farmer only hosts the experiment and the question arises from the scientist. One of the strengths behind that could be that that there's clear goals, goals and that there's a clear design. One weakness is that the experiment is not a good representation of the whole field. It only addresses the scientists question and maybe not the farmers. So based on this information, if it is a farmer-driven experiment, it will impact that specific farmer. And if it is a scientific-driven experiment, it will influence a variety of farmers with a similar question.
0: Absolutely, thanks for Again, highlighting that continuum of, you know, who's leading the question, asking mm-hmm. where who's doing the farming, um, where are these experiments taking place? And and again, part of that continu- continuum is also the research farms. You know, we're really lucky in this region to have some very excellent research farms, mm-hmm. including long-term agroecosystem research. Um, so, yeah, and they're all on this continuum of how do we answer questions that are relevant to our ag systems here in this region. Mm-hmm. Um Moses, would you describe from your perspective the respective roles for farmer driven versus scientist driven experiments
1: yeah sure um, i think there's there's potentially a lot of, of differences um, I, I guess the first thing that jumps out to me is the the farmer uh, we already have to wear so many different hats right we have to be an agronomist and uh, market analysis and a mechanic, and you know ev- everything else. So, um, even you know, there's plenty of farmers who are who are really smart, but you know can't afford to take the time to specialize in these you know micro areas of of focus. So, the I, I see the the scientific led experimentation as as really drilling down to answer very specific. Uh, questions and identifying specific root causes for problems in a way that I, I don't think farmers have the, the time to focus to, to identify themselves. And um, it, whereas the, the farmer-driven experimentation, you know, once those the problems are identified, then there's the question of implementing a solution. And so, farmers are in a, a good position to, to test with different different possible solutions to the problem. And there's the, the, where there's that intersection between uh, the producers and researchers is uh, you know, collaborating to come up with the potential solutions to the problem, the, the many different potential solutions, and then going out on the farm and, and trying to see which one works.
0: That is a wonderful note to end on
1: today.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Moses, for having us out to help you explore this question you had on your farm and Mm -hmm. providing the opportunity for our group of students, including Oscar, to learn more about collaborating in the field and on-farm experimentation. Thanks, Oscar, for doing so much work uh, researching about (laughs) on-farm experimentation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Moses, for having us out. Uh, Absolutely. You guys come back anytime.
0: As always, a big thank you to our guests today for sharing their wealth of knowledge and experience with us. And a special thanks this week goes to Drs. Andre Smertenko and Matt Peck for their leadership in providing the REEU program opportunity and to Dr. Rachel Wehmey of Walla Walla Regional Extension who co-developed this experiment, its implementation and the extension portion of the REEU experience. And of course, to the other students in the REEU program, who participated in this soil pH field survey. This podcast is produced by the PNW Farmers Network team with music credit to Carlos Flores. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone and do not represent that of the PNW Farmers Network or any associated agencies. Please remember that experimental results will vary and listeners are encouraged to try things at home you like what you heard, please support this work by sharing, rating, and reviewing. And do consider joining us as a guest or nominating a friend who is trying things on their farm. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, happy trials.